I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Last time we looked at the first 11 verses, and as we did, we were seeing Solomon search himself and apply it to all the things that he had accomplished, and yet when he looked at everything that he was looking at, he came to the very end of it, and he said, Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the S-U-N, the sun. Now he turns, and he compares the wise to the foolish, because he's a man of wisdom. Now, he is course can succumb to human worldly wisdom he has not kept the godly wisdom that he had he has then taken this wise mind of his that God gave him and did what we can do turn it for that which is not good and so we see here first of all the vanity that there is when we are looking at the uh, what we call equivalence The vanity of equivalence or similarities. The vanity of equivalence or similarities. And he's going to look at this and he's going to talk to us about this through a few verses. Let's take a look at some of the things that he says. First of all, there is human wisdom that is being followed. Look at verse number 12. And I turned myself to behold wisdom. This this is his looking at wisdom, to behold, to see it clearly. Uh, It has to denote to see with the eyes. He's looking at worldly wisdom, this worldly wisdom that he thought was going to help him. And he said, I looked at this worldly wisdom, and I also looked at madness. Okay? The things that are just don't make sense to people, that is just mad, that is ridiculous, that is deluded. And he said, and folly, foolishness, silliness. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? He said, I turned myself to this human wisdom. And I wanted to understand it. And I didn't want to understand the madness and the folly. So I'm comparing these things. And then whoever sees the king, what in the world can he do more? What more can anyone following him do than what he had done? That's the way he was looking at it. And he actually concludes that verse by saying, even that which hath already been done. He said, they can't do anything more than what's already been 
done. There is a following that doesn't make sense to him. In fact, he goes on to show human wisdom excelling. So he says in verse 15, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly. It's much better to have wisdom than to be foolish and silly. As far as the light excelleth darkness, he says it's like that big a difference between the two. Huge chasm between wisdom and wiseness and foolishness and silliness. So he said, I realized that my wisdom is preferred over to those that are in this. I get that, even though he should have been in godly wisdom that would have given him answers, that would have given him hope, that would not have had him feeling like he was grasping at the wind, which he could not keep in his hands. But he realizes that his wisdom did allow him to have all these things. It was better than being silly and foolish, but it still didn't do anything to him. And so we look at verse number 14, where we see humans, human wisdom's plight. Listen to the plight of this. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. Okay, he says the wise man can see what's happening. He can see what's going on. He can see ahead. He, he, he can see the things in his head and predict, you know, this outcome could happen. But he said the fool walketh in darkness. Now, the idea of this is a fool is constantly, continually in darkness because they're always being foolish and silly and then he said and yet I looked at the wise which are better off than those that are foolish but he said this is what I perceived I perceived I got hold I I had a cognitive thought I took knowledge listen I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all one event happened to them all he got to realize that things just didn't go the way he thought they would go. You know what he said? He said, it just doesn't matter. The way it turns out is frightening. He said, to live wisely is definitely better, but, however, it ends the same. We all end. You know what that one event is? That one event that happens to them all is we die. Yeah, we can have an accident, so can they. We can have, we don't know all the things that can happen, but the one thing we know, it's appointed unto man once to die. And he said, and I perceived also that the same things happen to them both, including death. So he goes on and he gives us human wisdom's conclusions. Look at verse 15. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. Again, ETH, as it keeps on happening to the fool, so it keeps on happening even to me. And why was I then more wise? He's thinking to himself, the fool is going to have the same fate that's going to happen to me. So he says, what did I gain by becoming more and more and more and more and more wise? What did I gain? So he is absolutely saying to his heart, he is complaining in his heart that the benefits of wisdom are just virtually meaningless. Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity, meaningless, worthless, empty. 
Life is empty to the wise who has human wisdom and the foolish who has no wisdom because they don't have God. It's under the sun. It's life without God. And life without God is purposeless. Life without God is meaningless. And life without God ends with eternal separation from God in the lake of fire forever and forever and forever. But when you have God, you have the human wisdom dispelled by godly wisdom. And you learn the wisdom and the principles and the truths of the word of God, which makes us wise. And we live that life. When time comes, yes, one event happens to them all. God's people get sick. God's people get in accidents. God's people lose their job. God's people deal with terminal illnesses. God's people die. But it's not eternal separation from God. It is eternal separation from this horrible body that decays and hurts and its replacement with a glorified body in heaven with our Savior forever and forever and forever. Human wisdom fails. Godly wisdom prevails when we dispel human wisdom and not try to figure it out in our own eyes. Colossians, Paul made it very clear that they were not to go to the traditions of men and the vain philosophies of the world. The philosophies of the world are human wisdom. It is trying to see things through the level of eye to eye peer to peer and not through the creator's eyes and back down who has a totally different perspective because he created it he created it therefore he knows more than we do and has always known more than we do and will always know more than we do and when we get to heaven then we can see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears as Adam walked with God in the garden, we will be able to hear and see and be with the one who is on the throne and with our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, my goodness, I said in my heart, has it happened to the fool? So it happened even to me. And why was it more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Verse 16, for there's no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? That's the fool. Now, think about this. We are talking about Solomon because God led him to write some things and uh, the Proverbs and this book of Ecclesiastes. But when you think about it, uh, how many really out of major mega world leaders and uh, great people, how many of them do we actually remember uh, consistently and continually? It's a very small number. There's very little remembrance as time moves on. If you weren't a student and a scholar of biblical things and went and heard preaching, you probably never would hear of people like uh, the ones who wrote the great hymns of the faith or maybe like Horatio Spafford who wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul, or great preachers of the past like D.L. Moody. You probably would never hear of them. So Solomon's conclusions get a little more 
uh, watch and listen to this. Therefore, conclusion word, therefore, I hated life. The word hate literally means to be an enemy of. It can, carries the idea and the continuation of hateful, odious, utterly. It is an enemy. He said, my life became an enemy. I hated my life because the work that is wrought, labored, the work that I am executing, that I'm doing, that which I'm making, is under, that, that which I'm doing under the sun is grievous unto me. Literally, it means bad, evil. The basic meaning of the word has the idea of an evilness to it. It's bad in every sense there is. Morally, ethically, it is just evil. He said, I hated my life because that which is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity, empty, meaningless, worthless, and vexation of spirit grasping after the wind it vexes my spirit i can't get hold of it can you imagine that it's i just can't get hold of it i try and i try and i try and i try and i cannot get hold of it he say he said therefore i hated life oh i hated my life in fact in verse 18 we transcend from the section that we're in, uh, which is the vanity of equivalences, to the vanity of enrichments. And he says, I, yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. The first thing that we see as we look at this vanity of enrichments, he says, labor fails to fully satisfy he said, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. What we see here is not only is labor failing to fully satisfy under the sun, but lucre, all that he had, all that he had gained through that labor is not good because it doesn't fully satisfy. And then, interestingly enough, he gives reasons why. Reasons why. Reason number one is because of leaving it to others. Can you imagine that? Solomon had all this fruit of his labor, all of this labor and lucre, money. But when he dies, everything that he did, the houses, the land, the riches, the, the, the oxen, the asses, and all those things, the orchards, the gardens, his kingdom is going to be left for someone else to receive. In fact, it went to, he was supposed to go to Rehoboam, but Rehoboam didn't take the advice of the elderly people. He took it of his friends and ended up splitting the kingdoms, and we ended up with 10 and 2, Judah and Israel. And so because of who it was left to, boom, we have a split kingdom. And God said he would do that in uh, the next time after the person of Solomon was off the scene. He said, man, this is not good. But then there was a second thing, reason, and that was because he was lamenting the outcome of everything. 
you know, it caused him a, a lamenting. Look at what it says here. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? It's going to be left, and who knows if he'll be wise with it or foolish with it? Well, Jeroboam was foolish with it and caused a schismatic altar to be built to keep them from going to Jerusalem to keep the kingdom split. Rehoboam was a foolish person in that he did not take the advice of the elderly men who had lived a long time and took it of his friends who were his own age and didn't have a perspective in the world. He said, yet shall he have rule over all my labor. He will be the one who will have power over everything I leave, whether he's a wise man or a fool. Over every labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun, this also is vanity. He said, this is empty. This hurts. This causes despair. I am lamenting this. The third reason was because of laziness by others. He said, we don't know what kind of person this is going to be. So what we find out is, that not only will this happen, because he said, therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor. It even brought him despair that this was going to happen. Actually to be despondent, which I took under the sun, S-U-N, for there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, what that which is right. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein, shall he leave it for his position. Meaning he's not even done anything. Someone else who never worked for it, he just got it. There's no investment in it. There's nothing that he looks at and says, hey, you know, I've got pride in this. And sometimes a person like that will actually let something fall apart because they don't have any clue how to make it work. He said, this also is vanity, empty, worthless, meaningless, and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun. See all this under the sun, S-U-N, under the sun, under the sun. For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. Wow, Solomon says, you know what? I spend my days crying and I spend my working now in grief and I can't sleep at night. He said, this is emptiness. It's vanity. It's worthless. And he says, there is nothing better for a man than he should eat and drink and that he should take his soul, enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. You know what happens here? He said here, I don't know if this person will be lazy or not. I don't get it. But he comes from the vanity of enrichment to the vanity of decision he says i've come to this conclusion there's nothing better for a man that that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy goodness labor this also i saw that it was from the hand of god the first thing i want you to see is the downwardness that this decision brought him to he all this downward spiraled from verse 23 down about the lazy man and taking over and who knows if the person will be a fool or wise has brought him to a decision point. Unfortunately, in human reasoning, you don't always make the wise decision. But we do see that he brings God into it. We see the deity in his decision. But what he says is, there's nothing better for people to do than to just eat and drink and enjoy. Well, does that not kind of bring a New Testament verse where it says, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we 
die. And he said, and to find enjoyment in all their labor and work and things they do. He said, I perceive that this ability to find enjoyment comes from God. He said, God does give it. He kind of goes back and gives a little bit of it. In verse 26, for God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. There is something that God gives. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But we also see that there's deference in the decision in verse number 25. For who can eat or who else can hasten here unto more than I? Uh, he said, who can experience joy uh, apart from God? For God giveth to a man that is good. And the idea of the word good is that which is better than what we are looking at. That is good. In his sight, wisdom. See, God's wisdom. He's, he's kind of seeing that he needed to go back to that wisdom and knowledge. In fact, by the end of the book, he's going to draw the whole conclusion to that. He's going to bring it back to that conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For that is the whole duty of man. That's the only thing that will satisfy. But he talks about this knowledge, this uh, knowingness, becoming aware, he said, and joy. How many people have everything under the sun, S-U-N, and have zero, not a joy? I can tell you right now from a lot, a lot of decades of serving God. In fact, uh, I believe that uh, October of next year, 2020, will be 50 years. I'm 49 plus years that I have known the Lord. And I can tell you the only joy that I have that creates a life for me to have outside is God. And that's what allows me to have a good marriage. And that's what allows me to enjoy ministry. It's because there is a joy of the Lord. And when you don't have that joy of the Lord, life hurts, is hard, and it's horrible. Just horrible. He said, for God giveth to a man that is good, a good man in his sight, wisdom. A man that's good in God's sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. You know what he's saying? To the one person who is right with God, loves God, pleases God, God gives him wisdom and knowledge and joy, but the sinner, he gives all that wealth to and everything, but they can't enjoy it, and they don't understand it. And he said it's just futile, like chasing the wind. It's empty. It's meaningless. It's worthless. What he's saying is, if I can get back to God's wisdom, I can have my joy back. But it seems like this book takes him a while to get to that point. But to the sinner, no, they just travail. They work. They gather. They heap up. They get all kinds of things that he may give to him that is good before God. But guess what? They end up giving it to somebody else that pleases God. Hey, listen, God says, don't, don't get messed up in this. There's a lot of things. You know, as believers, we are stewards of what God gives us, meaning that we don't own anything. God owns it. And we have been entrusted as a house manager to manage the things God has given us. And the things that he has given us to manage is our time, our talents, and our treasure. Now, when we take our time, 
we're using our time wisely. We're being good stewards of our time in our fellowship with the Lord, in our devotions, in our study time, in our church time, in our working time and laboring time and doing the things that God wants us to do. We're also in our treasures that we're giving to the Lord, not just the tenth, but above and beyond because New Testament giving is as you have been prospered. I believe 10% is the bottom line. And as you are prospered, you can add to it. And then our talents, the things that God has given us to do. He's given us the ability, the gifts that God bestows. We are to use them wisely and for him as a house manager, making sure that we do not under any circumstances for any reason do it in our own strength or under the S-U-N, but always in the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. So we are working for God. We are managing the estate of what he has given us in our lives. And therefore, we can leave a legacy behind us of faithfulness. Moreover, it is important in stewards, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The rich man said, hey, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night, think about that. He was bragging that particular day, not knowing that that particular night was his last night on earth. That's exactly what Solomon's talking about. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee then. Whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covenanted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Even in 1 Timothy chapter 6, again, in verse number 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. The bottom line, what he's saying here in chapter 2 is, I really need to trust God. I can't trust anything else. The way I'm living, the way I'm looking at how I'm living, it all comes down to this. I'm going to die and leave it all behind. So my friend, Mr. Christian, listen, Miss Christian, live every day to the fullest, trusting God, living for him, loving him, learning from him, laboring for him. And then as you do that, enjoy what God gives you to do. Enjoy everything that God has asked you to do. Be happy in the will of God. And know that only God can satisfy your soul. Nothing else can. And then do what the Bible says. Please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Father, help us to be who and what we should be in the things of our God. Forgive us for missing the mark. Help us not to look at it from worldly view or under the sun, but through your eyes and with joy, abundant joy. And we'll thank you for it in the blessed name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying you have an absolutely awesome week. Yes, I believe every word that
said is true I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through I believe every word is true You've been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.